Thank you, Rachel. We find ourselves again in John's gospel as we've been making our way uh, through this gospel together. Had a break for a few weeks as we considered uh, just worship itself and the Lord's Day, delighting in worship. Um, From Psalm 92, we come back now to John's gospel. As we come here today, we we find it's the trial before Pilate as we consider uh, this situation. And, and it's probably one of the clearest, if I could say it this way, one of the clearest contrasts in the Bible between two opposing forces. And so we come here uh, right from the opening of the gospel itself, if you recall, uh, Jesus comes into the world and the world did not recognize him. The world uh, did not receive him. Well, it's on full display as we come to this particular chapter and over the next few as we see this conspiracy that's risen up among the religious people of the day. I mentioned to you the last time we were in John's gospel that we understand that Jesus basically had two trials, uh, one that was before a religious audience, the Jewish religious authorities, and there is one that is before the Roman civil authorities, and there's different stages of each of those. Um, As we think about today's section, we come to the first portion of Jesus' trial before the Roman authorities. Pilate himself is the governor placed there by Rome to make sure that the people in Jerusalem obey and do what Rome wants them to do. So when you hear Pilate, he's put there by the Roman authorities to oversee all that's going on in this region that Rome was in charge of. And so we come to this text today, and really what's on display is one of these big ideas that we speak of in the church. Uh, You may have noticed already that we've spoken of kings and kingdoms in our confessions and in our readings, and we just kind of blow through that, I think, sometimes. Uh, It's helpful to maybe pause when scripture speaks of kingdoms uh, when we sing and it is in our hymns and it tells of these things well what we want to see today is there is a huge contrast between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom that is from above we know that intuitively but we have it clearly before our eyes here in John chapter 18 as Jesus comes before Pilate. But it is my hope that as you think about the contrast between the kingdom that is from above and the kingdoms or kingdom of this world, that you yourselves will be reminded that you are a member of the kingdom that is from above. As a Christian, that's where your citizenship belongs. And so I pray that the Lord would grant to us all a bigger view to this Christian life than just uh, what is often the mundane. I'm not saying that any of our lives are mundane, but there's a bigger thing going on than just my life or yours. And it is on display right here 
in John chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Let me read it through the end of the chapter and then pray over it and we'll look at it together. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you? About me. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, He went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Or it says robber, but look at your footnote. Let's pray. Lord, help us to not only hear the word rightly, that your spirit would cause us to be convicted if we are thinking wrongly, to find ourselves encouraged as we see the contrast before our very eyes, that we might remember that we don't belong to the kingdom of the United States or any nation in this world. We ultimately belong to King Jesus and his kingdom. Grant to us wisdom from this text that we would live our lives with eyes wide open, grander than maybe we've had in a long while. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We see in this text the contrast between two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom that is from above. And in doing so, I long that all of us would find ourselves, our minds, such that we think more and more of the kingdom of 
our Lord, that which is from above. We need to see, first of all, in the first place, the kingdom of this world. And it fits nicely there in verses 28 to 32. There's this interchange that's going on in this text. We see here the kingdom of this world, a kingdom that really doesn't have a king per se. We see what religion is really without faith, what religion without God looks like in these few verses. These Jews, they're extremely religious people. They're the real leaders of the church of the day, and yet there's no real faith here on display because God was not their true king. God was not the one who ruled over their hearts. They simply picked and chose which laws that they wanted to obey. As you think about it. They held the authority over people and how they should live and act. Turn with me back to Isaiah's gospel. Chapter 1. Because it is really here Isaiah describing these religious leaders that we've just heard about a little bit, only a little bit, though we've been seeing them throughout the gospel. But right here in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 11, where it says this, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? This is their worship, right? This is an indictment about their worship. That's going on right here in chapter 1. Says the Lord, God speaking, I have had enough of burnt offerings. That's their worship. And the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. He goes on in verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They've set up this system of what they should do and when they should do it and how they should do it and what they should not do. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds. He's talking about their worship. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together. The Lord is saying yes about their worship, but he's also saying, how is it that you've come to this place where you're picking and choosing what you think are most important and neglecting to do some of the other more important things? We come back to our text and you say, what are you after, Pastor? What's going on here? As you're talking about the kingdom of this world, the, the, the kingdom that has really no king. Well, as you think about this, you look at their religion, this religion that I said is without faith, and you say, what, what are you referencing here? Well, it's explicit here in John's gospel that these Jews who led Jesus to Pilate, who was a Roman governor who had the authority to put to death, and that's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus killed. But these are religious folks because it's Passover. And they made of their rules, we can't go into the house of a Jew, of a Gentile. 
Do you see the text, what it's saying there? They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Praetorium is the word there. They wanted to kill Jesus, but they're religious. Because they're like, oh, if we go into this Gentile home, you know what happens. We're defiled. We can't celebrate Passover. And you began to see that they only had religion in name. They did not have one who was a king over their hearts. Their sole intent, their evil intent in this situation was to kill Jesus. They're mostly concerned about the externals. I don't want to oversimplify the two points as we will next look at the kingdom not of this world. But I want to say the kingdom of this world is much concerned about the externals, the appearance. They had murder in their hearts. They didn't care. What they did care is, oh, if other Jews saw us go into a Gentile home, we will be defiled and our religion will be no good. They're concerned with this outward cleanliness. That was one of the indictments that Jesus had about the religious leaders They weren't concerned about the righteousness of God. They were concerned about how it looked. They wanted the Roman authority, Pilate in this case, to set free uh, a a terrorist, which he does. My word. That's what Barabbas was. And they wanted to punish by way of capital punishment someone who'd never done anything wrong. You began to see how religion and its externals can be so much more uh, of value to the wrongful hearts of men and women. Twisted religion can get in the minds of so many. Murder's okay, but stepping into Pilate's house is not. I mean, go figure what in the world has happened. That that is where their minds are at this point. These Jewish leaders were of the kingdom of this world. Primarily concerned with the appearance of righteousness and holiness and not really its substance. And it's easy for me even as I study to go, oh yeah, those guys are bad. They're overly concerned or only concerned about appearances. Many examples could be given. But just think for a moment. Again, our culture is really concerned about appearances. You know, which, what do you post on your accounts? This kind of signaling and letting people know that really you do care about all types of people. But in reality, what happens in the privacy of the home? We don't know. What happens in the privacy of conversations? Only that person and maybe the, those close here, what, what they publicly showed and what they privately said may not align together. Well, lest you think uh, this is for those out there, I want you to pause for just a minute and think yourself or your family as you're getting ready to come to worship this morning. 
Many of us tend to dress up for Sunday morning worship. And in and of itself, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's meant to, I believe, reflect the, the gravity of coming into the very presence of God. The living and true God. It's, it's a desire to honor Him and respect Him to come to meet the Lord. But really, it's, it's a human symbol. If we think for just a moment, please remain uh, in whatever pattern you uh, choose to regarding this. But I have a question for you, though. I have a question for me. As you got ready to come in today, did you spend more time and more energy, emotional energy, worried about the symbol and the reality of what will people think or how do I look? Or did you think about coming to meet the living God? I think you can do both of those. Please don't. You know, we come into the presence of God. We give him our best. But I do think that all of us are guilty of saying, I have on my bests. But we've given little to no thought to my heart as I came into his house. And so we're all guilty of at times functionally living like those who are of the kingdom of this world. And so let us all examine ourselves. Let us all uh, take this one point I'm driving home of appearances. What will they think? What will she think? How will he respond if he actually saw something different. And the worst part about it, we all know that none of us want to see uh, anyone else to see my thoughts. I know you don't want me to see, well, I think you don't want me to see your thoughts. But this is the kingdom of this world we see here, particularly in these Jewish religious leaders. We come to the second kingdom that's not of this world. As he goes on to engage this Pilate with Jesus, they go back into the praetorium, leaving the Jews outside. The charges were that Jesus had claimed to be a king. And one of the other gospels, if you read the similar accounts that are there, it tells us that he was... Uh, telling the Jews not to pay taxes to Caesar, which was a lie, but that was what's recorded. They were accusing him wrongly of saying, don't pay taxes to Caesar. But we know he said actually pay taxes to Caesar. But, but Pilate was interested in, in these charges because, again, his responsibility there in Jerusalem was to make sure that were, there were no uh, insurrectionists who were, who were kind of rising up at the risk of Jerusalem being wiped off the face of the earth by Rome. And so if he'd gotten word, true statements or false statements about this one who said, I ah, don't pay the taxes to Caesar, you can begin to see This is what Pilate wants to understand. And so Jesus kind of turns it on him and he says, "Um, do you you say this with your own words or or did did someone else tell you to ask this of me? What's Jesus getting at? What's he trying to define? What's he wanting to make clear here? If Pilate is asking of his own, then he has a mind to believe that Jesus is some kind of political king 
who could possibly be a threat to him and to the Roman authorities. However, if he's asking this because the Jews had said that Jesus claimed to be a king, then he would own up to that. And so if it's the, the first one, the answer is certainly no. He's not trying to rise up and believe, become a political king. But if it is the second one, then certainly it's true. Yes, he's the king of his kingdom. The Jews themselves, in this instance, as it transitions to the church herself. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one who is the, in the, the, lot, the line of the king of David. He's going to sit on the throne. This is King Jesus. And so you can begin to see that Jesus can't just say yes or no. He has to understand what Pilate's after to determine this particular kingdom. And so when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, we'd be fighting right now. But my kingdom is not from this world. Our Lord's kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Not a physical kingdom. But a spiritual one. I want to be very clear to say to us this morning that... Jesus' kingdom rules over all the kingdoms of this world. And so in one sense, yes, he has all authority. Does Jesus, as he said in Matthew 28, that is in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has the authority to rule over all the earthly kingdoms. But his kingdom is primarily a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. And in thinking about the kingdom of our Lord that is from above... I do believe that much of the battle in my own heart and maybe in yours as well is that we are so enamored with the kingdom of this world, the things of this world, and we lose sight that this is not really where I ultimately belong. That's the great struggle. To be reminded that you're a part of King Jesus' kingdom, which is from above. A spiritual kingdom. If you're a Christian, you are a part of the kingdom of our Lord. And she began to realize this, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is King Jesus, we submit to him. And so when we are faced with the challenges of the kingdoms of this world, the things of this life, we have to be charged and challenged and say to one another, don't forget This isn't your kingdom. This isn't your real battle. That the ultimate battle is that which is a spiritual battle. And she began to see in this text these two contrasting kingdoms that are described or shown. I want to, in the last place, show the contrast a little bit more explicitly. As you come to this last two sections, I think it's a marvelous contrast of these two kingdoms. As you think about what is said there in verse 37 and 38, then Pilate said to him, so are you are a king? And Jesus says, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. 
right in the middle of this dialogue that's going on between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus, Pilate asks this really extraordinary thing. You know, what is truth? He himself is, could have, has been described as the ultimate postmodernist, that where there is no truth. You know, he's just kind of throwing out this question. And so what is truth? Jesus is there saying, for I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. I am the truth. And so if there is a word that is associated with the kingdom that is from above, it is truth. It is truth. And so Christ, to be a king and to be a witness to the truth, he he comes in to this world. The kingdom of truth enters in. Because as you begin to think about the contrast to the kingdoms of this world, it's so much full of lies. Because the Father himself, is uh, Jesus, Satan himself, sorry, who he is the father of lies, the scripture says. And so the kingdoms of this world are so much based upon a lie. And it bothers us as Christians when we look out into the world and we see something that's so obvious. And I'm troubled, maybe, as you, I'm troubled as much as you are. When Leah Thomas, this man, swims with women and wins races. And we are troubled by that as Christians. And the interesting thing is the world itself, the kingdoms of this world are starting to pay attention as well. But it's a lie. That's not a woman who won the race. But that's so much a part of this world, whereas Christ came into the world to reveal truth, to make his subjects, to make me and you, to understand that there is a reality called eternity, heaven and hell. That's truth. He came in to show us and to no longer live lives that are full of blindness, but rather to open our eyes and to see clearly right from wrong. Jesus who is the king of his kingdom. It is a kingdom of truth. And so Jesus stands in contrast to the kingdoms of this world, which are so based on non-truth. There's, there's truth that's come from outside the world. Sin has affected this world and Satan has blinded the eyes of all of us who live here and yet truth came down and he opened our eyes to understand the reality of who he is. And if you believe that Jesus is God and you've testified with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that is truth that God gave to you and to me. So we think about this kingdom. And previously in John 17, if you just look back a page there in verse 17, sanctify them. This is his prayer in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus didn't say there that the the word is true. He said the word is truth. The word of God is the standard of truth. That's why we often say this is the word of truth. This is the word of Christ. And so that's why we as Christians who are in this kingdom, we open it up and we want to learn truth. 
That's why from the pulpit here, week in and week out, morning and evening, we open it up and we say, this is truth. Because the world is full of lies. And the hardest part when we read the Bible is to say it is true 100%, even when it's hard to swallow things that are said that maybe I personally don't like, and I try to adjust my life to it. How I feel, I bring to it. No, it stands as truth, no matter what I do coming up against it. This is the, the manual of the kingdom that is from above. Because it is truth that has been revealed to us. And the very fact that we can open it and our hearts are warmed and our hearts are challenged, our hearts are convicted, they're comforted by the various places that we read because we are people of the kingdom of truth. So as we think about these things, what are your instincts this morning as we sit here on the edge of eternity? You go, I got a lot more years, Pastor. Okay. Even those lot more years compare nothing to eternity. As you think about this, the truth of who Jesus is, and we will sing in just a little bit, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. That's what we believe. That's what we hold on to. That's what we grasp firmly and we say, Christ, I'm yours only because you've made me to see truth. But the other kingdom that is on display here is the kingdom that's without truth. As you look at the last section there, 38 to B, after he had said this, Pilate, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you after, at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas, footnote, was an insurrectionist. He's the one that Pilate was looking out for to make sure he doesn't raise his ugly head the likes of someone like Barabbas. Because it's going to cause great issues in Rome. And so you come to this very sad picture of what mankind is like in his sin without God, without truth. Because Pilate was discerned. He, he, he was determined to, to tell the people, Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's completely innocent. And this sinful worldly court of Pilate's <laughs> concluded that. Found no guilt with Jesus. And yet, these Jews came because their eyes had not been opened to the truth of who Jesus is. And they wanted to put Jesus to death. Theirs is the kingdom of this world. A kingdom without a true king. Without truth. That's really the world we live in in so many ways. We look around, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's what partly explains some of these really odd things that we're seeing in the news that I referenced earlier. But we live in a, in a world that is so enamored with things of the appearance and things that are, as one might call, pragmatism. 
If it works, then do it. That's the world we live in. There's no truth in that. Stealing or murder accomplishes the goal of these who are right here, but that's the, the kind of the modern approach as well. If it feels good to you, go ahead. Just do it. And whatever feels good to you might well be the opposite of the one next to you who feels differently. That's a world without truth. Or this idea of relativism, that's more similar probably. It's this idea that everyone does whatever he wants in his own eyes. Whatever you believe is equally valid to the guy right down the street from you. No truth. There's nothing objective that stands outside of those two individuals that says right and wrong. Even inclusivism, you see it in religions of this nation. Come one, come all, it doesn't really matter. Everyone's going to make it to God at the end. We all worship the same God with a little g. No truth. It's everywhere in our culture. As we think about this contrast between a kingdom of truth and the kingdom of this world which has no truth. Yes, they have little truths by 2 plus 2 equals 4. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the reality of they have no knowledge of real truth. And so as we close, as we think about this world without truth, and we look at this passage right here, in the end, Barabbas, this insurrectionist, he's set free, and Jesus is crucified. You see how the sinful, evil world responds to Jesus. It's a picture of, of, of fallen humanity without truth. That's what happens when, when the sinless Son of God is sent into the world and yet those He came to redeem murder Him. As we ponder these things, it's that behavior that is the behavior that is separate from one who follows Christ. Jesus dies, Barabbas lives. There's no greater contrast in these two kingdoms. You know, it's often asked by different ones, you know, if someone had met Barabbas the next day, the, ne- the next week, the next month, if you'd run into him on the streets of Jerusalem, you went up to him and you asked, how come, Barabbas, you're alive? The only answer that Barabbas could give to you if you had been there and asked him is that Jesus died in his place. And the beautiful irony of of these last few verses is really the picture of the gospel. The substitution whereby the one who is exchanged for Jesus is Barabbas. It's a picture of the gospel. Barabbas deserved condemnation. Barabbas deserved judgment. He deserved to be punished. And yet Jesus, who is innocent, Jesus, he deserved to be set free. But instead, Barabbas is let go. And Jesus took his sentence. It's a parable being acted out before us right here at the end of this chapter. Because really, that's really us. That's what's on display right here. We'll close by reading these last two verses or two sections. Turn to John 8.
because I think the contrast is marvelously grand. And, and I don't want you to leave without a, a challenge and conviction and an invitation to the gospel itself. John chapter 8. Jesus is here speaking. He's talking to those who are around him, uh, religious leaders. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reasons why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That's a description, quite frankly, not of those religious people only. But it really is a description of us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. The glorious chapter that speaks of that which is Here, this exchange between Jesus and Barabbas. So we were fathers, uh, sons of the father of lies. We were sons and daughters of Satan. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it about us. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. That's who we follow, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. It is the gospel. You deserve the punishment that Barabbas deserved. I deserved it. But Jesus took our place. And we've been set free because of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. How glorious it is to know these things. May we reflect more fully, more deeply upon the kingdoms that I have described. Such that we would have our minds more and more in the kingdom mindset which is from above. Let's pray. Grant to us, Father, ears to hear hearts that would respond well, that we'd be concerned about the real truth of this world we live in. Ultimately, it is living in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless each one that has heard your word. If we have any here today, Lord, would you open the eyes that they would see truth, open the eyes that they would live lives for the King. King Jesus, pray this in his name.
Amen. Take your hymnals and